Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu. If you were to travel to Konya in uh, Turkey, you would most likely be going to see the place where Rumi resided and his tomb. And when you got there, this is what you would see. You would walk into an area uh, that looked like a mosque, but it wasn't. And it was actually, it's actually a tomb, an indoor tomb slash cemetery with about 30 or 40 sheikhs of the order uh, interred there. And then you would reach the area where Rumi himself uh, is interred. And to the left of that is a large room that they've turned into a museum, which is where the dervishes would do their sema, their whirling. And if you went outside that building, um, across from it, there are two other buildings. One is the mosque that they used at that time, and the other is a diorama. Now, we don't use that word so often, but you'll see them in the Museum of Natural History in New York. A diorama is a depiction of something. Uh, usually using, uh, in, 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 in the Museum of Natural History of uh, New York, they use stuffed animals uh, and mannequins when they have people with the animals. And here they use mannequins and recreations of uh, certain things that dervishes would do during their uh, stay within the Darga. And Darga means the place where the uh, dervishes uh, stay and carry on their activities. There's usually a guide who explains to you what's going on. And there is a period when a a person comes to the Darga uh, with the intention of becoming a dervish. And then there's the small ritual of the shoes. All the dervishes keep their shoes in a certain place when they come in. The initiates' shoes go in a different place. And then after a certain period of time, either the initiates' shoes get put with the other dervishes' shoes, or the initiates' shoes are put outside the darga. If the shoes are put outside the darga, that means the initiate uh, was not accepted as a dervish in this particular tariqat. What's the point? The point is that in order to become a dervish, you had to be a, you had to be able to act in a certain way. You had to be able to carry yourself in a certain way. You had to be able to do things in a certain way. And if you couldn't, you couldn't be accepted into the circle of dervishes. Now, a large part of the training 
in becoming a dervish is adeb or adab, which essentially means chivalry or etiquette. Um, in other words, you have to know how to act towards others and towards yourself. There has to be the establishment of an appropriate behavior within you. And, of course, you're told and explained what appropriate behavior is. But some people can be explained day and night and night and day, and they don't get it, and they can't understand it, because they don't have empathy. They're incapable of feeling what others feel because mostly they are so overwhelmed by their own needs and their own feelings. And these needs and feelings are so powerful within themselves that they can't seem to do anything other than explain what those feelings are and how they themselves should be treated better. Their focus is on themselves as opposed to what's outside of them, as far as other people. This is a fault of perspective. You need to have a certain way to look at things. And if you can't look at things that way, then the perspective that you use is going to lead to behavior that puts your shoes outside the darga. Uh, Ibn Arabi says in a prayer, Allah, let me see me through the way you see me so that I may do as you would do, not as I would do. That's a leap. The giving up of our perspective on ourselves and the active, intentional prayer to be released of that perspective so that we can see ourselves from the outside is a huge progression on this path. I can't help but be reminded of a Dylan song which says something like this, and I'm paraphrasing. And for just one moment, I wish that you could step into my shoes so that you could see what a drag it is to see you. <laughs> and and the point is that we all have encountered those situations and those people. Only Dylan had a very <laughs> succinct way of saying it. But the Sufis have known this forever. And what is it about teaching a Deb that forces you to understand reality. Well, 
in order to have appropriate etiquette and appropriate chivalry, you have to have appropriate restraint. And if you can't have restraint, then that egocentric elephant of arrogance dominates and runs wild. And it's only when that's corralled and when we don't act out of our own volition, but act out of appropriate volition, does actual change occur. It ain't what you say, it's what you do. And until we get to the point of doing things correctly, we can talk a marvelous game forever, but everybody around us will be looking at us and just shaking their head. Like he knows the right words, but he don't know the right way. And one of the marvelous things uh, about having our sheikh and the nature of our sheikh was that he did the right thing and consistently had restraint, consistently did not do things that were out of sorts and that would upset people. He, in my, in, from what I saw, was overly kind and overly gentle and overly easy with people to sometimes the denigration of himself before ones who obviously were not close uh, to what he was. Uh, but it was in that understanding of his own smallness that his greatness shone. But that smallness is, of course, in comparison to Allah. It's not in comparison to the humanity around him. He's an Ant-Man. But an Ant-Man in comparison to what? In comparison to Allah. And to the small, Allah is even smaller. And to the great, Allah is greater. So, if we want to be able to see things through Allah's perspective as to ourself and as to what surrounds us, we need to disappear into his perspective. And then we need to be able to act out his perspective. Just so that we don't get confused, it is evident that all grace and all mercy come to us from Allah, not because we deserve it, but because it is Allah's nature to be merciful and compassionate. So we have to thank Allah that despite our lack of worthiness, despite our inability <clears throat> to be truly uh, in the state of disappearance, 
truly in the state of reverence to him, truly in the state of slavery to him, despite our inability to do these things, he still shows us mercy. He still shows us compassion. Not because of us, in spite of us, because of his nature. So, understanding that, we should become filled with gratitude. And becoming filled with gratitude changes our nature. One who is filled with gratitude acts differently than one who is constantly in need. Constantly focused on their own desires and the fulfillment of those. There's a story that uh, Baal Mohaedin told about this man in his small town of Jaffna who used to constantly <coughs> denigrate him and who used to constantly uh, slander him. And then one day, one of Bawa's devotees saw Bawa walking around town and he came across this man and he saw that he gave him money and he gave him an amount that was substantial at that time. And afterwards, the devotee asked Bawa, why did you give him money? He says, and Bawa responded, that one who slanders you unjustly, one who lies about you, one who says things um, that are inappropriate about you, takes your karma away and adds it to his own. It's a cleansing. And he said, <clears throat> since he was helping to cleanse me, I thought I should pay him. <laughs> now, these are such interesting opposites of what you would expect the behavior to be. You would expect someone to say in those cases, how dare you say something like that about me? How dare you insult me in public? How dare you, etc., etc., etc. But no. He went and paid him because of his understanding about how what he did made, him, made Bawa even more humble and more small. And he understood that that is the path where we're going. Well, I'm sure we've all had <clears throat> our share of slanders. And I'm sure we've all had our share of people saying inappropriate things about us. And that's where restraint comes in. That's where the ability to continue to have a deb is actually brought to the forefront. And can we do these things under difficult circumstances? Can we maintain empathy under difficult circumstances? Or do we revert to the use of power in order to make things conform to our will?
Now, not all of us are in the place where we have um, absolute power. This is mostly given to politicians. And if you watch politicians over periods of time, the usual progression is that they start out empathetic and they end up dictatorial. One of the saving graces of the American system is that the president can't stay in office long enough to become dictatorial. He's booted after eight years. Um, and therefore, somebody else comes in. And since he knows this is going to happen, the whole way they act differently. But watch other countries where there are no term limits. And all of a sudden, you see term limits being vacated to extend and to extend and to extend. And watch the empathy towards the people as it changes. Um, it's an interesting phenomenon. But the point is, we all do have a certain amount of power within our own circumstances. We all do have a certain amount of power within our purview, within our realm of how we can act. And we all have situations of high and low. We have situations where we're higher than others and where others are higher than us. The question that comes into play is how do we react in the situations where we have control? Do we abuse control or do we limit control? Now, in situations where we are hierarchical, some control has to be used. And to be used what's appropriate, to use the amount that's appropriate, is the entire balancing act of appropriate etiquette, of how to use it. We can't uh, fall over backwards, yet we can't pounce forward. We have to keep a balance. And there has to be a balance where our integrity <clears throat> isn't damaged, yet we don't damage others' integrity, where the balance of appropriate etiquette is kept. In the same way that we have to have appropriate etiquette towards others, we also have to have appropriate etiquette towards ourselves. We can't become too hard on ourselves. But we also can't be too easy on ourselves. There has to be a balance in the way we act towards ourselves so that we allow growth to happen within us. In the same way that we can't judge others harshly, we shouldn't judge ourselves harshly. We have to allow ourselves the room to grow. We all need to understand that everybody we look at, including ourselves, 
is a work in progress. And for that work to continue to progress, there has to be appropriate action uh, and an appropriate response to the situations uh, that are going on. There are not a lot of pictures of Rumi that are available, but there are some, and in all of them, you can he is pictured as slightly bent over with eyes downward in a respectful repose. And here was the giant among men of that time, yet his eyes were focused downward, his hands were folded in front of him, and there was a respectful repose within him. This is and was the attitude of the truly great ones. Because the truly great ones, no matter who they were in the company of, were also always consciously in the company of God. So even if the humanity that surrounded him wasn't worthy of that respectful repose, Allah was always worthy of that respectful repose. And they always gave that respectful obedience, that respectful attitude, that respectful self towards Allah. So, can we, in our existence with man, and in our existence within the illusory nature in this world, also be constantly aware that we are also in the presence of Allah, and act as if we are in the presence of Allah. Now, I'm not too familiar with uh, Wi-Fi and the internet and how it works, but I do know that you can create something called a hotspot, which means where you couldn't get internet, all of a sudden it becomes available to you. Well, you need to become, we all need to become, a hotspot for Allah. Where those who aren't aware of the presence will become aware of the presence when you walk into the room because you make that presence available. Just like the hotspot brings in the internet, you bring in that vibration. Um, why did so many people gather around the great saints, even just to sit in their presence? Because they were hot spots. Because within them, Allah became visible. Within them, the qualities became visible. Near them, that which was real became real. Illusion somehow lost some of its power and some of its control over us. And all of a sudden, we were in a space 
where our mind was numbed because our mind isn't capable of comprehending that which is holy. And that holy hotspot brought us a sense of comfort and a sense of peace. Essentially, because it took us out of our ordinary circumstances and brought us into elevated circumstances. It took us out of mundane circumstances and brought us into holy circumstances. It took us from the ordinary to the extraordinary. And it made us believers in the fact that the extraordinary is possible. In fact, it exists. And we saw it right in front of us. So we have to now take ourselves to those places. Through prayer, through the appropriate surrender, through involving ourselves with what we've learned about the nature of our sheikh and integrating ourselves with that, we can bring ourselves to those extraordinary places. And those extraordinary places will find, leave the world behind. But that part of the world that's illusory doesn't leave behind the fact that we need to have empathy towards others. It doesn't leave behind the fact that we need to be able to help others. It doesn't leave behind the fact that we need to feel the hunger of others. But it leaves behind all the things that Allah left behind. It leaves behind jealousy. It leaves behind anger. It leaves behind lust. It leaves behind torpor. It leaves behind arrogance. Satan, get thee behind me. It puts all those things behind And the front becomes the glory that is the quality of reality, the quality of the truth. And by focusing on that, we become different. Our actions become different. Now, intention must be appropriate and must be set, but intention has to be followed through on. Intention has to become action. Without that, without bringing our intentions into action, we become those who talk but don't do. And we all know the talkers in the world. We all know the ones who can't follow through. May Allah make it that our actions become appropriate for his qualities so that when it comes the time to decide where our shoes go, our shoes go with the ones who are the friends of Allah. Ameen, ameen, ya Rabbil Alameen. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.